It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time to cue. LeBron left to the circle, left to the lane. Gonna go all the way and hammer it all the way. Everybody, I mean everybody, on their feet. Sends it to three. We wanted a different approach. The shoot around. Welcome back, everyone. It's been yet another tough week for Cavs Nation. This was a week of continued stumbles as the team has lost its last three games. We will get into that and also check in on how we feel about how the starters are coming along. Cleveland visited Detroit and looked lackluster to say the least. The Pistons, who were without a majority of their starters, came out and dropped 37 points in the first quarter. The Cavs continued to work their way into holes early in the game. Fighting their way back, the Cavs finally took the lead in the middle of the fourth quarter, but were not able to overcome the Pistons' three-point shooting, losing 105-109. to Scoring only two points in the final three minutes might have also had something to do with it. Cleveland flew into Chicago and visited the Zach Levine-less Bulls and got stampeded. Nikola Vucevic led the Bulls with 25 points, shooting 58% from the field and 60% from three. Lori Markkanen added another 16 from the bench. Sexton and Garland scored 22 points apiece, and every Cavs starter scored in double digits. However, Love shot poorly, only hitting 40% from the floor and 20% from three. Added to that, the bench play only garnered 15 points total, and they predictably had a lackluster third quarter. All of this culminated into a Bulls win, with the final being 106-96. to The Cavaliers hosted the Golden State Warriors on April 15th and showed a ton of effort, even leading by three after the first quarter, but lost 119-101. Steph Curry had 33 and Andrew Wiggins had 23, continuing his good play against the Cavs. One would think he would be over being traded to Minnesota for Kevin Love. In true Cavs form, they allowed a player to have a career night. This time, it was a bench player, Juan Toscano-Anderson, who dropped 20 points. That's right, a bench player. 20 points. Sexland combined for 50 points, and Allen added another 17, but overall the starters and bench looked out of sync. Kevin Love continued to have a poor shooting performance with a total of 5 points, going only 14% from the arc. On April 14th, the Cavs flew into Charlotte and nabbed a 103-90 win. The Cavs were without Sexton, but got a huge contribution from Torian Prince, who led all scorers with 25 points, from the bench. Garland and Love had 17 points, and Allen added 15, a strong showing coming back from injury. Charlotte's Terry Rozier and Miles Bridges had 22 and 20 points apiece. The Hornets are a tough squad and showed that by taking the lead in the third quarter. However, unlike games in the past, Cleveland responded by immediately going on a 16-7 run to finish the quarter. This resilience showed the Cavs they can play more efficiently and not fall into old patterns. Again, the Cavs only had one win this week, so I was thinking we could focus on Charlotte, if that's cool. Sure. I reluctantly will take the Pistons' loss. This one win a week thing is getting old. 
Our last podcast, our special topics, we discussed that these are the games that we needed to win in order to make a playoff run this year. And we're already seeing those chances being diminished or frankly just totally taken away by not taking advantage of this opportunity and winning games like this. With the 18, 17 games that are remaining, if we lose any more to teams that have this kind of record, say goodbye to the playoffs and say goodbye to the rest of the season. We might as well pack it in now and hope for a decent pick, I guess. I don't know. I don't really want to go there, but it seems like that might be the only positive outcome if we continue to play this way. And I don't know. I'm not seeing a team that has the pride that I saw in the start of the season coming out and not allowing guys to just penetrate the lane at all times and get looks from all over the court anytime they want them. We've said for weeks that every game now, one or two guys on a team get to go out there and have career nights. The Pistons have had a great deal of turnover this season. The amount of turmoil that they've seen within their organization, they're not a team that you should have to consider you're going to be putting an L next to for the week. The fact that we let all five starters score in double digits. We had Cook with 12, Bay with 20, Stewart with 18, Hayes with 12, and Jackson with 16. Several of those guys, they have no business scoring those kinds of points on you. And you can look to the first quarter and say, well, we gave up 37 points in the first quarter. That didn't put us off to a great start. But those guys didn't get all of their points in the first quarter alone. And we continue to struggle from the field and struggle as a team at the worst times in these games. I saw a Cavs team dig themselves out of the hole three or four times throughout the night and then continue to jump right back into it because they turned the ball over a ton or they just could not shoot. They go on these cold streaks that are really, really difficult to watch. And at times, I don't blame J.B. Bickerstaff for letting them play through it. But other times, I'm screaming at the TV for them to call timeouts. You have to course correct. And with a young team like this, they look like deer in the headlights out there. They don't know how to get it turned around. Before they know it, a team's gone on a 15 or a 20-point run on them. And we've lost all the momentum that we've built up from the start of the game. And in this case, we didn't have any momentum to start the game because we just gave it away in the first quarter. So this game is a tough one to talk about, but we can't shy away from them. Yes, it's wonderful to see Sexton get 28 points and Garland 23 points. I continue, though, to wonder about Kevin Love and him fitting within the offense as currently constructed this season. He's not doing himself any favors by coming out and shooting as poorly as he has from three. We mentioned what he shot from the arc in the Golden State game. In this game, he shot 0% from the arc. He was 0 for 4 from 3. And I've noticed over the last stretch of games that they're really looking to love in the fourth quarter to make threes to either keep them in the game or to take the lead or to extend the lead. And in all cases, he has chunked it off the rim. He is not finding the bottom of the net. He doesn't look comfortable out there. And on the one hand, I can't blame him. He's been gone from the game for a while. He needs to get his legs back under him. And he has not been Mr. Fourth Quarter his entire time being a Cavalier. And the idea now that they're going to bring him in and use him in that way, I'm just disappointed. One other thing I would point to and then, you know, give you the reins here and you can tell me what you thought of this stinker. Jared Allen had five points in the game, but he was two for four shooting. I don't want to see Jared Allen take four shots ever. 
I really want to see eight to 10 shots a night from Jarrett. And that's another thing that I've noticed. Some of these games since Love has come back, Allen has to take a back seat offensively because there's just not enough shots to go around, especially when the guy that's taking your shots is not 60, 70% from the field the way that you are. You know, yes, Kevin can get you a shot from the outside, but currently he can't. So you've traded the offensive production of a sure thing under the basket for now a rotating power forward that can't make a shot from the outside when you need it. I completely agree with you on the love points and the relationship with Allen. Clearly, the two of them have not gelled. The thing I'm kind of curious about, it seems as though Allen and some of the other players They're having to play the offense and the defense through what Love is doing or not doing. And at times that makes sense. But when he's not being productive, when he's not making his shots, there has to be a backup plan because Love is still coming off literally a hobbling injury where he doesn't have his legs under him. As you and I have talked about throughout our lives, shooting a basketball, yeah, you have to have good form, but most importantly, you have to have your legs. If you don't have your legs under you, you're not going to make your shots. You have to be able to run up and down the floor, defend, and then also on offense, get a shot off where your body is underneath you. And I'm not really seeing that from him. I'm seeing that Love is trying to stay in front of guys defensively, but he's just not what he was. He wasn't an all-star defender anyway when he was at the peak of his game. So I'm a little curious about that. And then I think that that is just putting a lot of pressure on Allen, who has been used to guys like Wade and Prince, who are just more active defensively. Wade has been a solid rebounder since he got into the starting lineup at times. It's just not meshing right now. And this is a game, you pointed out everything that really needs to be pointed out in the sense of, you know, they went down by a lot. They fought back. I had the sinking feeling that the fact that they were only ever able to get it within like three points, two points, one point, they weren't able to get over the hump until the middle of the fourth. I was like, this is too, this is too little too late. They weren't able to put a stretch of eight points in a row on a team that had only won 17 games. It is clearly the worst team in the Eastern Conference, right? your highlight of how offensively they are relying on love to be that veteran, which makes sense when you think about it. But then when you see it and it's not working, there has to be something else there, right? You got a bunch of these wins without love. You kind of need to go back to that mid game if it's not working. One thing too, that happened a lot with love. I remember Lou, when LeBron was here, always talked about how he wanted to get love his points at the beginning of the game. Part of that is an insurance policy because if love is on at the beginning, that means we can keep feeding him occasionally. But if he was off, they changed the plan. They relied on, yes, two Hall of Famers and Kyrie and LeBron. The same mindset kind of needs to be here where you're moving into other actions and maybe you're getting Allen the ball at the the elbow or the post and working it a little bit differently and you're having Love maneuver in other positions as opposed to feeding him so much. We got through that. Let's move on to a win. Colin, tell me what you thought about the Hornets game. Yeah, the Hornets game was a lot of fun because they won. 
Uh, it's crazy how that works out. I really loved watching Prince just ball out. I mean, he shot 75% from three. Like we mentioned earlier, he scored 25 points from the bench. He looked possessed, and it's fun to see him play. I like his style of play. I enjoy seeing his confidence. I, I'm a little curious as to why that's not unlocked almost every night, but clearly when he's on, he's on, and that's very helpful for the bench unit and for the, the Cavs to win. The other thing I really enjoyed was that the Cavs shot 57% from the floor, and the Hornets only shot 40%. The Cavs always need to set the defensive tone with this type of team. Their current roster of having two primary guards who are only 6-1 means that the rest of the players on the floor when they're with Garland and Sexton, they really need to be stepping up defensively just because you have to support the lack of size that you have. And so I thought they did a really solid job of holding a team who was sitting at 500 and definitely has playoff aspirations to only 40%. It was a lot of fun to watch that. We have talked about this guy a lot. I think the main reason why we've talked about Isaiah Hartenstein so much is he's just a surprise. We got Allen in the trade earlier in the season, and we kind of knew who Allen was. But with Hartenstein, we were like, cool, we got a body. Here's another center, a big guy who can get a few rebounds, right? But his instincts and his chemistry on the floor with some of these players is already much further along than I would have guessed. His chemistry is probably better than a few of the players like <clears throat> Jetty Osman uh, on the floor than a lot of guys. Hartenstein was a lot of fun just to watch. He only put up eight points and four rebounds, but he was efficient in that. He was moving the ball well, and he was there for the other bench players on the floor. He just has a good chemistry and flow, which I enjoyed. And the last thing I wanted to add was just that this game, Larry Nance had come back, and he's coming back from injury where he had lost 20 pounds, um, an undisclosed illness. Nance just looks a little, he looks lethargic. He doesn't look like a guy who is NBA ready right now. They hadn't played Nance in the Detroit game. So I'm hoping that he's able to kind of get his strength back. It would be great to see him on the court. But from everything that you've read about Nance Jr. and the interviews that we've heard from him, I'm sure he is a little frustrated about the situation. But I just I don't think that he needs to play right now if he doesn't really have his strength with him because he really excels at being quick and using his his quick twitch muscles to get steals and disrupt passes. A regular season record is not always an indication if you're a better or worse team. And coming into this game, you and I both know that the Cavaliers, when they're playing at their full strength, when they're healthy, and when they're locked in on the, the fundamentals that make them a great team, right? Solid defense and consistent passing, very minimal turnovers, out-rebounding the other team. We've beaten some of the top teams in the league this year because we've got that talent when we're, un when we're able to unlock it. The issue is consistency. What team are you going to get tonight? The Cavs team that can beat the Nets or the Cavs team that loses to the Sacramento Kings? And certainly this game could have gone either way. I was just happy that we saw the team that we know they're capable of being and should be more often. 
And yes, they played without Sexton. They didn't have any kind of crazy quarter scoring wise, but they kept it consistent where they scored at least 22, 23 points a quarter. And they finished the game above 100. They shot almost 50% and they kept the other team to about 40% shooting. They had a great night from three for once above 40% from three. And they out-rebounded their opponent. They had more assists. They had more blocks. They had more steals. I'd say the only negative to the game was their turnovers. They had 15, but the Cavs have been consistently getting about 15 to 20 a game. And some nights that puts a nail in the coffin, and other nights it doesn't seem to make too much of a difference. It was nice to see them come out without their main player in Sexton and get a win. And Kevin, you know, we, we've been critical of him so far, and we're going to continue to be so if the shoe fits. But for this game, he was much more efficient, two for five from three, 17 points overall. And I think they were really flowing as an offense in this game. They trusted themselves more. They were playing more of a team game out there, and they were trusting one another. And yes, it would have been possibly a much different game if it hadn't been for Prince's performance. And I agree with you. I don't know why some nights we're seeing this kind of effort from him and other nights not. I also think it has to do with the role they're asking him to fill right now. And you know that I wanted to see him be moved into the starting lineup and be the starting small forward. Um, and that's nothing on Okoro. I just think that you've given him enough for the season to prove what he can be. And he's gotten a lot of development there. But you didn't start the season with Prince. And he's proven to be a player that I'd rather see him in the starting lineup and then have Okoro rotate in and out and then let the minutes still be relatively the same. Just get him out there and get him activated a little sooner on the offensive side. But otherwise, yeah, wonderful thing to see. And, you know, we need them because it feels like we're only going to have a few more at this rate. It's just it's not looking good. So hopefully they'll remember these kinds of games and they'll be able to lean on them to give themselves a little bit of encouragement. And, uh, and they won't hang their heads too long for games like the Pistons game. It's always a lot of fun to see when the Cavs put it all together. I think you highlighting how dominant they were in this game, but not dominant to the point of ridiculous, just shows that if you have a consistent effort and you are precise with what you're doing on the court and trust each other, you're going to come out with a win more often than not. And you put it really well that this team had a lot of trust and they were playing as a team. And I just hope that they're able to do that for at least four or five more wins the rest of the season, just so they get a taste of that. Let's go to the tape. This week marked a milestone for our beloved Cavs. For the first time all season, the Cavs had Garland, Sexton, Okoro, Love, and Allen start consecutive games. This lineup is considered, quote, the starting lineup, and many Cavs media and fans have been looking forward to seeing them on the court. I think we were happy to finally see this lineup. What was your takeaway from their performance? Well, I think I buried the lead in this at the start of the podcast because um, just talking about the performance that we've been seeing from Love and kind of the, the ups and downs that we've been witnessing from the offense and the lackluster performance that we've seen on the defensive side from Love. I was excited to see this in principle and on paper, but now I'm not certain that it's what's right for this team this season. And it's kind of a shame because I think we've been derailed throughout the year by consistently having to compromise what the vision of this team is supposed to be for the season. 
And granted, things have changed. Allen and Prince being on the team alone has really altered the fates and and made things uh, much different moving forward. Because the ideal lineup prior to them would have been Drummond and Love and Sexton, Okoro and Garland. And I don't think that that's something that we would have enjoyed either. We understand that the team is in flux, that Love is signed to a contract that is impossible to move at this point, and that this is not the the final vision for the team. And so in some ways, because Drummond's been moved and Allen has been added, and we know we have Prince on the bench, and we have Hartenstein also, and all of these other pieces, I've said this about other players over this over the season, Love, unfortunately, has found his way off of being relevant with this team. And it's not that he isn't a good basketball player or that he doesn't have a high basketball IQ or that he can't offer something to a a team in this league. I'm not saying that he's done completely, but I've been concerned throughout the year what it would mean if he came back. And my concerns are only solidified by watching these last couple of weeks of games. Now, again, a sign of him being of him shooting so poorly from three is, I think, what you've pointed out, which is that he has no legs underneath him. And until he really gets his basketball physicality back, this just might be much ado about nothing. Again, with only a handful of games left, it seems counterintuitive to say bench Kevin Love. Don't play him for the rest of the year. Because if I'm sitting here saying I don't want us to go for a high draft pick, I want us to try to make the playoffs, you would think that you would want Kevin Love out on the court. But I think because of how often we watch the games, we see that this just isn't really working. And that the progress that was being made for a while there on the offensive side of the ball, especially having more of a consistent lineup, not including Kevin, we're now um, we're now kind of subject to watching a a piece added to the machine that just doesn't quite fit. And we don't necessarily have enough time to make that piece work for, for this season. So it may seem counterintuitive, but I also think that they're probably in a corner with this weird illness that befell Nance Jr. because he also does not have his legs under him. He's lost 20 pounds or so, and most of that's in uh, muscle. So with that, the Cavs are kind of stuck with, once again, even though it seemed like they had nothing but big players for the power forward in the center position for this season, it's been one of the hardest positions to consistently fill all year long due to injury. So I'd love to hear your perspective. I don't know if I'm sold on, on anything either way, but for right now, just to follow up on your question, I'm not necessarily happy to see this lineup. What do you think? I get really happy to see this lineup on social media, like on Twitter, when they tweet out the pictures of the guys in 2K who you know have all the highest ratings, right? So that's where the excitement is. I think all of your points are extremely valid. And I think the thing that's a little odd to me, we talked about this when Love was introduced back into the lineup for this stint where he's actually been playing you know, more than a few games in a row. He was on a minutes restriction. I believe it was me that said it. It might have been you. I, I, one of us said, you do not go above 20 minutes. And you tell Kevin Love, you need to be as efficient and you need to score as much as you can in those 20 minutes. The thing that's odd to me right now about this lineup, they kind of act like they have 40 minutes with Kevin Love. And that's not how the team should play. 
Love should still only be at 20 minutes. In the Detroit game, he played almost 30. There's no reason for that at all. Again, I don't want people to listen to this and think that you and I are like anti-Kevin Love. A lot of this is just the eye test. And then Adam and I watch a lot of games. We also see what the output is. And he just isn't putting up the points and the efficiency that is needed for who he is. This is the worst shooting he's had his entire career. Since his rookie season, this is his worst shooting output from behind the arc. He's played 14 games this season. He clearly is not up to basketball shape and is ready to be a starter right now. Personally, what I'm seeing out of these five players is obviously they have a lack of consistency because there's a handful of games left and this is the first time they're all starting together. But some of that is they are relying on too much of what Kevin Love can do. He's still passing the ball really well. He's still able to stretch the floor really well because of that passing and where he can post up and teams are still defending him from behind the arc, but his output just isn't there. So my preference would be you keep him around that mark of minutes and you work the ball to Allen and you bring in Dean Wade, who is able to still hit that occasional outside shot. So you're not dropping too far off from three point range, but it's not gelling right now. I think the other thing, too, that is a little concerning to me is defensively, we all know that Love is not a superb defender. Allen needs more help than what Kevin Love can provide on the defensive side of the ball. Allen is the future center of this team. The hope is that they re-sign him to a really good contract in the offseason, and he plays for us the next eight years in Cleveland. But the fact of the matter is you need to provide help for him. And it's why I think in the draft, depending on where the Cavs sit and fall, my hope is that they draft a power forward slash small forward who can play the four and the three well to help Allen. Because Love and Nance have shown you that they still have a lot of injury issues. Love will be another year older. Nance, I think, would still provide a lot, but I think he still is a sixth man type of player, and I think he relishes that type of role. What you brought up about how we thought the power forward was solidified, if anything, that's the best thing this lineup has shown us, is that the power forward position, we need something. Every team needs more threes and four players we need wing depth every team in the nba could use that but specifically this has been a glaring you know giant red alarm that says please draft a three or a four or trade for one or sign one because we need someone it really depends on what they believe they have in Dean Wade, because if Nance Jr. can stay healthy and figure out stopping that string of bad luck he's been having, I think he's the future power forward, starting power forward of the team. That's what I would like to see. He's a hometown guy, so it's hard for me not to be rooting for him. But I also think that you can't have nothing but studs in your starting five. You need some role players out there, too. Guy, you know, Nance Jr., I don't expect him to be the type of player to go out there and score more than 15 points a night. And frankly, some nights I don't even need him to do that. You know that I like to have a consistent double-double guy, either in my center position or my power forward position. And right now you do have that in Allen. Wouldn't it be great to also have it in Nance Jr.? 
I would be willing to go into next season with Nance Jr. as my starting power forward and with Wade, Dean Wade, being the backup power forward. And then either, like you said, drafting another four or bringing somebody in through free agency. This is all talking as if Kevin isn't on the team and he will be. So I guess moving forward, we're going to have to find out, can Kevin get his legs back? It's probably not going to be this season. If it is this season, it's got to be in the next three or four games or it's not going to matter. It's not going to make any difference for this year. And if he can't get his legs back under him to end this season, he's going to go into the offseason with a lot of questions. And if he comes into the regular season next year with those questions remaining after the first 20 or 30 games, it's going to be impossible yet again to move him. And it's going to make for another awkward situation for the Cavaliers of what do we do with this player that we value because of the history we have with him, but the present no longer makes sense for us to keep him. And yet we can't move him. They've got some questions they have to ask and answer between now and next season when it comes to the power forward position. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how the other lineups, I mean, this is roughly the 26th or 27th new lineup that we're highlighting here in the podcast. The thing that's intriguing to me about it, by going with the other lineups in the past, they were able to answer some questions in Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens. They're gaining some insights on these players. And so I'm not concerned that the Cavs won't reflect and see what they need, right? Because I think if anything, this is really what this lineup is highlighting is it's telling the coaching staff and the GM and, and Altman what this team needs to kind of move forward. Um, so I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Just for the love of God, stop asking Kevin Love to hit threes for you late in the game. Like that's not his game right now. Dean Wade, Sexton, Garland, hell, even Jetty, if you're going to play him. We have a lot of guys on the team that you can trust right now to take those shots, and, uh, and it's not Kevin right now. So let Kevin's strengths be elsewhere. The final seconds. The Cavs will play the Bulls at home and then go on the road to play the Hornets, Wizards, and Raptors. These past few weeks, the wine and gold have been inconsistent to say the least, especially on the road. Are you expecting them to get any wins in these next stretch of games? Well, for your sake, I hope they beat the Bulls since you're going to that game, and I'm not jealous. Who said, who said I was jealous? I'm totally not jealous. Anyway... I hope they beat the Bulls because Zach Levine won't be there and the Cavs need to show that they want to win some games, right? So that's really the one team that I think that they can beat in this next stretch. The other wild card for me could be the Raptors just because they got thumped by them. And if the Cavs show any resiliency, it'll be against them. Coach Bickerstaff has gone with Della Vadova, Prince, Nance Jr., and Hartenstein off the bench. The unit seems to not fit well together. Who would you like to see in the bench rotation? Well, I guess I would like to see more of Dean Wade out there. I don't know what's happened to Jetty. I don't necessarily want to see more of him out there if he's going to continue to play the way that he has this year, shooting so poorly from, from three. The sad truth is that Due to injury issues and Nance Jr. still coming back from his health issue and 
Um, Sexton being a scratch some nights or Garland being a scratch some nights. We don't really have a lot of depth right now. There, there really are not a lot of other players to mention. Windler's out still. Anybody I would like to see out there can't go out there right now. So the the bench rotation, I think we've talked a little bit tonight about what we'd like to see. In some ways, I guess I would put Prince in the starting lineup and I'd move Akuro to the bench. I'd also consider playing Stevens more. I know you and I both think that he should be getting more minutes a night just for the experience alone, but we like his defense more than, let's say, Della Vadova's, for example. We're in a tough position because we don't really have a true backup point guard, someone that can spell Garland but continue to run the offense at the same pace and still be a offensive threat while out on the court. We really shift into a totally different style of team when we go to uh, go to our bench. I think just the nature of the trades that we had to do this season and the injuries that we've had, there's going to be a lot of questions going into the offseason about what we want the bench to look like uh, in 2022. Speaking of the bench, Lamar Stevens was signed to a four-year contract extension, three of which are non-guaranteed. What do you expect to see from Stevens moving forward, and do you think he'll earn those added three years? I think Stevens has a lot of potential to earn those extra years on his contract. I would like him to develop a better outside shot and a more consistent overall shot. We've talked about his defense in previous games, and he has a lot of unbelievably good power and strength and is able to use that defensively with some really solid instincts, right? So he can dictate possessions defensively just with his size and speed, which is rare, especially for a guy who was undrafted. Stevens has the ability to kind of move into a 3 and D role if he really improves his shooting. He has the potential to handle the ball a little bit too, which would just help with depth. You know, he isn't just on an island. So I would like for him to keep shooting, to keep working hard, and even improve his defense where he's able to guard and man up basically on a point guard to a power forward. I don't think he would ever be able to man up on a center, but we saw that he was able to take on Zion Williamson, who is just a ridiculously sized human. And Stevens didn't back down. So I think if he can keep that tenacity up and add a little bit of a shooting touch, he'll definitely be here for three more years. Against Detroit, Darius Garland had one of the best bounce skip passes I've ever seen. What was your reaction? Well, my reaction was to rewind it and watch it again. It was pretty amazing. I I didn't really have a chance to react to it in the moment that it happened because Allen kind of grabbed the ball with one hand taking the rebound and he immediately threw the ball to Garland and Garland, the minute it touched his hands, he knew where he wanted to take it and he just threw the thing down the court and the way that it skipped off the ground and, and perfectly landed in Sexton's hands, it was gorgeous. It's the type of play that you see the potential of what these guys can do together. Their speed, their quickness, and their basketball IQ is going to let those types of plays happen more often. But I have to say, it's also frustrating because watching a team like the Cavs go five, six, seven minutes and they can't get a bucket, but in less than two seconds, <laughs> three seconds, I watched them get an easy layup just off of a transition, a, a terrific transition pass. It makes the highs uber high and the lows down in, into the earth, down at the center of the earth. 
because you know what this team can be and you see it in, in those plays. It was it was awesome though. And uh and hopefully we'll get more of that before the end of the season. That's it for this week. Thank you for joining us as always. We'll be back next week for episode 11. It was fun as always to talk Cavs basketball. Follow us on Apple Podcasts and other places like Spotify. Talk to you all soon. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club podcast. Let's go Cavs.